Well, a victory, by definition, is a successful struggle against an opponent or an obstacle. It's to triumph, it's to prevail, or to win. A song of victory is, is simply exulting or rejoicing in that triumph. Most of the time we associate that kind of language with, with competitive sports or with battles and wars. And, but we, we see it today in other places. I mean, you can see a, a, a guy with a football do a victory dance in the end zone after a touchdown. And of course, you know, when, when I was a kid, seven years old, this is, this is the only victory dance they did. Uh, they're a little more creative now, do a few more things. Uh, or you can see it on a soccer field uh, as a player runs across the field swinging their shirt over their head. Years ago, they would hold victory parades for war heroes or astronauts that overcame great uh, obstacles to reach the moon. You know, probably the latest victory celebration that you and I have seen has been on some reality game show where after someone has finished the competition and outwitted their opponents, they've, they, they celebrate, they do their victory. And it's, you know, it's not as noble as, as an ancient Greek warrior, you know, being celebrated for protecting his family and his countrymen, but hey, you know, that's celebration in our crazy world today. But one of the things that you'll notice in a victory celebration whether it's after winning the Super Bowl or, or a political race or winning an Oscar, the victor will give his or her speech. And in those words are usually attached this attitude. And it's an attitude of gratefulness. And, thanks that, and, and the thanks goes to those who aided them in their victory. Usually that's the way it works. Now, whether it's a simple, thanks, mom and dad, or whether it's uh, you know, some moving speech about a, a coach or a friend or a parent that inspired them and pushed them on, uh, our modern songs of victory always have this attribute of thanks where it's due. Well, guess what? Guess what? The, the ancient saints had in their worship a place for songs of victory, giving credit where it was due to, to God. And in the Psalms, you can see these celebration songs that have always have thanksgiving to God mixed through them. And they seem to say repeatedly, you know, look at what God has done for us. Look at what he's done. Isn't God amazing? And that's what they seem to say. Psalm 66 is an, is an example of this. Come and see what God has done. How awesome his works on man's behalf. Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. After escaping an enemy, David wrote this psalm of victory. He said, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Another psalmist wrote, clap your hands. All you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, our King, our great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, people under our feet. And throughout the Psalms, you can find these type of overcomers singing their song of victory and turning it into worship of God, giving thanks and credit to where it is due. So why, why is this kind of worship important? Why is it included in, in these collections uh, of psalms and collection of worship? Let me tell you a few reasons. One, one good reason. 
a song of victory is an important type of worship is that it has the element of thanksgiving in it. In a letter to the Roman believers, we're given this description. It's a progression of how a person gets to a place in their life where they suppress the truth. They don't want to hear it any longer. And, and they begin to worship created things and, and begin to live to satisfy their own sinful di- desires instead of wanting to please God. And, and how a person gets to that place, the scriptures say, is that it starts with people who know God, but they do not glorify Him, nor give thanks to Him. Wow. That thanksgiving is an important, important thing. You know, instead of going down that dark path, thanksgiving can keep our minds from becoming foolish. Thanksgiving can keep our hearts from being darkened. Thanksgiving is important for us. We need to be doing it. That's why a song of victory is a good thing in our worship. Another reason a song of victory is important in worship is that it's acknowledgement of God's providence. Now, I know that's a word we don't use much and, and maybe even kind of scratch your head, what does that mean? Well, you have all maybe prepared for something, trained for something, organized, strategized, executed, and fought well, but in the end, there were circumstances and conditions that you could not control. And ultimately, God had a hand in your victory. The Bible says the horse is made ready for battle, but victory rests with the Lord. Providence is God's divine guidance and care, his guardianship over times and places and circumstances and events. And it's when people around you say things like, wow, you were so fortunate, or you you are so lucky, or just think, if it would have been a few more seconds, man, you, you may not be here today. You, you would have been dead. Or, you know, there's, there's things that people say, those kind of things to you. And you know, you know in your heart and in your mind that it wasn't fortune. It wasn't luck. It wasn't your great reflexes. It was the hand of God that rescued you or won the day for you. You know that. See, acknowledging providence isn't ignoring skill. It's not ignoring talent or training, but simply confessing God gave those things to you. And he's the one who puts you in the right place at the right time. God's providence was something that was talked about and you often heard in the speech of people in the past. Uh, and on July 9th, 1775 in Western Pennsylvania, there was uh, these, uh, some British and colonial troops that were working together, uh, 1,900 of them that were going out led by General Edward Braddock, and they're ambushed by 9,000 Frenchmen and Indians. It was a total massacre. The French and Indians began, began picking off all the British officers so that it would cause the troops to scatter. And one of the highest ranking officers among them was a young colonial named, uh, uh, and he was a Virginia farmer, and his name was George Washington. And two horses were shot out from under him during the battle. Many rifles were aimed at him throughout the battle trying to bring him down. Every staff officer who went out on the field that day died but him. After the disaster, Washington wrote to a friend and he said this, by the all-powerful dispensation of providence, I have been protected by all human probability or expectation. For I had four bullet holes shot through my coat and two horses shot from under me, yet I escaped unhurt, although death was leveling my companions on either side of me. 
You see, the belief that God governs his creatures and controls history, even to, to bullets flying through the air in battle, was a common currency of language and culture for Christ followers for centuries. See, we, we've got to recover that language and make it a part of our worship once again and acknowledge God's hand in things that we cannot control and say it was because of him. Well, now can you imagine someone like George Washington going through that, someone like that today going through that and, and brought up in our culture what he might say after a catastrophe like that? You know, he might say, dude, Man, you should have seen me. I was jumping off my horse as he was going down. I double kicked this Frenchman while he was coming at me with a knife. And, and I was like Neo in the Matrix. And I was just dodging bullets left and right. And oh, I was so awesome. I mean, you could hear something like that, couldn't you? Well, you know, another reason why these psalms of victory are important is that they keep us in touch with humility. They really do. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall, the Bible says. You know, listen to this psalmist acknowledging God and his victory and how he gives praise to him, keeping his pride in check. You are my king and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Though through you, we push back our enemies. Through your name, we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. I do not, my sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long. We will praise your name forever. The Apostle Paul says something that kind of echoes that in the New Testament, his psalm of victory. And he says it like this, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And may I never boast except in the cross of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know what? We need some more of that kind of boasting in our worship, the kind of world behind me, the cross before me type worship. You know, this psalm of victory is the type of worship that happens with other people publicly. You know, we've talked about worship that, that is alone on your pillow at night or when you wake in the morning, the kind that happens when you're alone driving down the road in your car or standing at the sink washing dishes. You know, there is a time and place for that kind of worship. But the psalm of victory is a type of worship that is clarifying to others where praise is due, making sure that praise doesn't go to you. So this kind of worship is public and it might happen in a place like this on Sunday. Or it could happen right at your dinner table on a night. But you know what? It could also happen in places with those who don't believe, in a break room at work, or at the place that you hang out at during school. A psalm of victory doesn't always have to be a song or a poem or a victory dance. It can simply be a statement like, no dude, you got it all wrong. It wasn't luck. God's hand was with me. I know it. He protected me. He helped me. He helped win the day. You know what? It could just happen in conversation, in a letter, or just in a simple statement like that. That can be a psalm of victory. Now, most of us, you know, we're not going to find ourselves in some sort of physical battle, a war, or competition on television that's going to reward us with great wealth. You know, but you and I face other kind of obstacles, don't we? I mean, we, we face things in our lives where we need to win, in our work, and home, 
in school, neighborhood, there are things that challenge our spirits, challenge our convictions, and we begin to feel that whole, man, the spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. And there are moments where we face right and wrong, and we want to choose right, and we want to win. We want to have victory in that, don't we? See, there are places in our lives where we are constantly challenged to give in and give up our battle with sin, to throw in the towel and say, I I, I give up to our foe, the devil. But we can't. We can't do that. And I know some of us would like to experience some more winning in our lives. We'd like to be able to sing a victory song for God. And I'm really sorry if someone told you the lie that seeking God was easy. You know what? There is turmoil and there is struggle in this journey of following Christ. So if you find yourself in the wilderness or in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating blood, don't think you've arrived there because you made a wrong turn or a wrong decision somewhere along the way. You know, we will all face struggle. And for us, there may be individual battles and there may be some of those battles that we lose. But I want you to know that there, in the end, The war is won. The victory has been won at the cross. And there's going to be one day when we're going to be singing around the throne of God and singing to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And we're going to be saying, Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. And we'll be singing a victory song there because we'll be presented faultless and with great joy before our King who washed us and bought us and cleansed us. And that is a victory song that we will all be singing one day, those of us who have put our trust in him. Now, I want you to listen to something. For those of you who maybe are wishing, I wish I could sing that song now. I want to sing a victory song today. Well, listen to 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. For everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You know what? For those of us who would like to see some winning and overcoming in our lives, take a look at that verse again and see how victory is won. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith strength is that what it says no doesn't say that does it and aren't you glad that overcoming the world doesn't depend upon your strength i'm not strong all the time are you no well let's see this victory that has overcome the world even our intelligence is that what it says now, I'm, I'm really glad that overcoming the world doesn't depend on our intelligence or our grade point average. Will there be some of us that be in trouble? You know, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our financial resources. Is that what it says? I'm glad it's not just the rich who can overcome. If that were the case, it would be out of reach for many of us in this world. Is it even our ability to plan? No. Our victory is, is it dependent upon superior numbers no no victory to overcome the world does not rest on these things this is the victory that overcomes the world faith it's faith 
Look on at verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Then overcoming is within your reach. It's there. Victory is near at hand. You know, Jesus asked his disciples who people said he was. And Peter piped up and he said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And you know what Jesus said? He said, hooray for you, Peter, bully for you. You got it right. And you know what? That wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood. That was revealed to you by God. And then Jesus went on to say that he was going to build his church upon this. You know what the church is built upon? The identity of Christ. It's not who you are. It's not how great you are. It's how great he is. He, Jesus, is the Christ, the son of the living God. This is the foundation of the church, the body of Christ, the people of God. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Jesus said. You know, I used to think when I was younger that the church was like a big castle on a hill. You know, with the walls and the parapets and the moat. And, and kind of like a scene in front of the Lord of the Rings, like two towers, I pictured the hordes of hell coming up against it and trying to batter down the walls of the church and batter through those gates. But they just couldn't do it because, you know, Jesus said it wouldn't prevail. But you know what? I used to think that way. I don't think that way anymore. The church is not a fortress. The church is on the move. And it is a force that is coming against the gates of hell. We're coming against them. And, and I see it now like another scene from the Lord of the Rings. A body of believers marching up to the gates of hell. And there are some, you know, little demonic minions and they're standing around and they kind of mockingly yell down from the, from the gates and they say, what's the password? And, and uh, you know, and, and, and somebody from this, this group of believers yells up and says, there is no password. Everyone, let's affirm our faith. And then there's this great shout that comes out and says, and everyone says, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Amen. And like that movie in the, in, in, the, in the Return of the King, the walls just crumble and they just fall down. That big tower with the eye falls over and everything, the gates of hell crumble. And, and, and we all march in and we take back what belongs to God. And redeem his kingdom. And as we march in, we, we sing a song, a victory song that's something like this. With the high praises of God in our mouth and a two-edged sword in our hand, we mount our assault on the portals of hell and against us they shall not stand. Singing praise, praise, praise to the Lord. Singing praise, praise, praise to the Lord. Singing praise, praise, praise to the Lord. For the battle is in his hand. And that's how I see the church prevailing over the gates of hell. We're not a fortress. We're a great people on the move. And Jesus is leading us. And, and, and he is our king. And he is our Lord. And we will prevail. But back to here and now. Back to where we're at. We can still sing a song of victory now. And victory comes from trusting Jesus. And our ability to overcome is directly related to how we trust, how we rely, how we depend upon and lean upon Jesus. 
You can believe in your ability to overcome. You can believe in your strength. You can believe in your own intelligence. You can believe in your own extra effort. But I'm telling you, you you can have a lot of great things going for you, but without Jesus, you're not going to make it. That's just the way it is. Jesus is our song of victory. He is. And what he accomplished at the cross for us there. Only he who believes Jesus is the Son of God overcomes the world. It's a simple truth that I hope you're not too big for. If we quickly forget that, then we're going to lose a lot of ground in our lives. There's a fellow who lived during the years of World War II that told a story of his grandma and her simple psalm of victory. And his name was Jack, and he, and he told the story this way. He said that when he was just a little kid, his parents would, every Friday night, uh, let him spend the night with his grandma. And they would drive him over, and, and he would get out of the car, and, and his little legs would make his way up the porch steps to his grandma's house. And when he got to the top of the porch, he would, he would turn around and, and wave goodbye to his mom in the car, and, and that was the signal for her to drive on. It was okay. But... Little boy Jack, he didn't, he didn't go in right away. He kind of stood on the porch, and, and there was a screen door. And his grandma was inside cooking a great meal. And all those aromas from the great food would start coming out that screen door. And he just would take a minute, and he would just sit, stand there and smell that. And then he'd go, and he'd knock on the door. And then he'd hear his grandma's voice from inside. He said, Jack, is that you? Yes, Grandma. Come on in, Jack. Come in. And so Jack, he would go in, and his grandma would be bustling around, getting the meal ready and getting it set on the table. And and Jack would sit down, and usually, you know, a little kid, he'd be coloring in his coloring book or something. A little later, when he got older, he was doing schoolwork. But there would be a moment where his, his grandma would say, it's time to eat, Jack. Yes, Grandma. And he would come and sit down, and, and there's this big spread on the table of all these good foods. And, and little Jack would fill up his belly until he could eat no more. And then he'd push himself back from the table and said, That was good food, Grandma. And she would say, Why, thank you, Jack. And it wouldn't be a few seconds later, but, but Grandma would say, Well, Jack, it's time to wash the dishes. Yes, Grandma. And they would get up and, and they would walk over to the kitchen and carry dishes over. And, and there was a little stool there for Jack to stand on to help his grandma wash the dishes. And, and, and he would dry or, and, and they would finish up the dishes. And when they were done, grandma would take that towel he was drying with and fold it up. And she would always lay it over the same spot on the sink to dry. And then after dinner time, it was time uh, to go and listen to grandma's uh, news program. And little Jack knew that, that he was not supposed to interrupt grandma when it was time for a news program. And so he would sit quietly and he would sit on the end of the couch where he, he was every Friday night and she would sit in her chair where she sat every Friday night. And during that time they would listen and, and then she would, the news program would be over and grandma would go turn off the radio and grandma would say, well, Jack, I think it's time to go to bed. Yes, grandma. And well, come on, Jack. Yes, grandma. And little Jack would walk over and, and he would sit down on grandma's knee. And, and then grandma would say, now say these things after me, Jack. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. He died on the cross to save me from my sins. Died on the cross to save me from my sins. 
He rose again on Easter. He rose again on Easter. I owe my life to him. I owe my life to him. And if I follow him and do as he commands, I follow him and do as he commands, my life will have meaning, purpose, and direction now and forevermore. A life will have purpose now forevermore. <laughs> and that's the way it happened every Friday night for years. But when Jack got to middle school, he had a lot of friendships and he had a lot of extra activities. And so he didn't get over to Grandma's house so often. And then when he got into high school, he stopped going to Grandma's house altogether. And around that time, World War II broke out. And Jack, he lied about his age and he enlisted in the army and went overseas and began fighting in Europe. And he left behind more than his family. He left behind morals. He left behind his convictions. But there was a time when... Jack got home on leave, and he went to visit his mom and dad and reconnected with his family. And while he was there, there was one night the the phone rang, and mom and dad said, Jack, it's grandma. She wants you to come over like you used to on Friday nights. How about it? And Jack said he was up for it, and so he got in the car, and he he drove himself over. He was a big boy now, and and he got out of the car, and, 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 you know, of course, as soon as he stood before that house it was like he just went back in time and as he went up to those porch steps you know he didn't have to work as hard to pick up those legs because his legs were a little longer and when he got to the top of that porch he he almost turned around a wave but but he didn't but but he did stand there and he just smelled the smells coming through that screen door and smelled all that good food like he hadn't smelled in a long time and then he knocked on the door and he heard a little voice back in the house say is that you jack Yes, Grandma. Come on in. And so he came in and he sat down and and they chit-chatted for a while while Grandma continued to fix the meal. And then finally there was a moment where she had everything set on the table and said, Well, Jack, it's time to eat. Yes, Grandma. And they sat down and and Jack looked at all the big spread and he began to fill his tummy like he hadn't in a long time with all that good food. And when he was good and full, there wasn't much food left and he he pushed the, the table back And he said, Grandma, that was some really good food. Why, thank you, Jack. And it wasn't a few seconds later, but Grandma says, Well, Jack, it's time to wash the dishes. And they got up, went to the kitchen, and and Jack smiled because he saw the little stool was still there by by the sink. And he kind of pushed it aside, and he stood there and washed dishes while his grandma dried. And he noticed as they finished that his grandma folded that towel up and laid it in the same place like she always did for years let it there to dry and then after that they went into the the front room and grandma turned on the radio and he sat on his place at the end of the couch and grandma sat in her chair like she always sat on friday nights and they listened to a program it wasn't the same news program but it was a it was a program was about a half an hour long and they sat quietly and listened and when it was done she got up and turned off the radio and she sat down again and said, well, Jack, it's time to go to bed. Yes, Grandma. Now, Jack said he was just humoring his grandma. I mean, she was old and he was a young man. He was going to go out and have some fun. He was going to put Grandma to bed and head out. He had his own plans. And, and, uh, but Grandma said, stand up, Jack. Come over here, Jack. Yes, Grandma. Now sit down. And he looked at his grandma and says, Grandma, I can't sit on you. I'll hurt you. And, but she acted like she didn't even hear him. And, and she just said again, sit down, Jack. 
And so Jack looked and he tried to fit himself kind of halfway on the arm of the chair and halfway on his grandma so he didn't crush her. And, and, and then Jack sat there and, and his grandma said, say it again, Jack. I said, well, say what? Say it again, Jack. What? And as he said what, he remembered what his grandma was wanting to hear. And then she said, say it, Jack. And Jack began to say those words that he hadn't said in a very long time. He said, the Bible is the word of God. Jesus is the son of God. He died on the cross to save me from my sins. And Jack, as he recounts the story, he tells that about halfway through, there was something that happened, started to begin to happen inside him. And the tears began to come down his face. He rose again on Easter. I owe him my life. And if I follow him and do as he commands, my life will have meaning, purpose, and direction now and forevermore. And as Jack retells the story, he said that that night he reclaimed an awful lot of firm ground that he had once lost. You see, the real truth, the best truth we've heard is not complicated. It can be obtained from sitting on your grandma's knee. Some of you cut your teeth on it. You were rocked to sleep to it. Or you had those songs of victory sung over you by a mom or a dad or a grandparent. You see, even a child can know it. And if you get too big for it, you won't overcome. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Folks, our victory song is Jesus. He is our song of victory. He is our help. In the next few moments, there's going to be some people around the room, and we're going to be celebrating a victory that was won at the cross for you and me. And there's going to be a moment when the song is played. You can get up at any time that you feel your heart is ready. Take a piece of bread, dip it in juice that represents Christ's body and Christ's blood. And you can take it. And as you take it, you can do what Jesus asked of us to do when we do this. Remember him. And maybe what would be running through your mind are the words of Peter. Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are my Lord and Savior. You are my victory song. With you, you're the only way I will overcome in this world. I owe you my life. I'll follow you. Lord Jesus, you're our song. You, you did it. Gained victory at the cross for us. You overcame death. You overcame sin. You overcame this world. Lord, we just cry out to you. We lean upon you. We depend upon you. We love you. In Jesus' name.